Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, Lifestyle of the Gospel, in the book of Romans today, chapter 15, verses 22 to 32. Let's join Dr. Newfeld as he brings his message entitled, Living According to God's Design. If you were alive when the 21st century rolled around, you'll remember a time when, to many, it looked like finally the world was on the brink of peace. Communism had been defeated, and many thought that the great threats to a peaceful world would finally be vanquished. Optimism was everywhere. The brave new world was upon us. But the new millennium had hardly begun when two planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York, and a new era of uncertainty was before us along with a great struggle with militant Islam. And since then, the global refugee crisis and the rise of populism has worried many. And it turns out the brave new world looks very much like the age-old world, filled with tensions and fears of war. You know, many people live in constant fear. The future looks so worrying, and clearly we're in a time of global transition. And such times in history past have often been times of upheaval. Now, should we then fear? You know, for Christians, there is in all of us a certainty that our best days are most definitely ahead of us and not behind us. We should look with confidence on the future, for our God reigns, and we should not slack in doing the Lord's work, for, for God's hand is upon us. You know, with that thought in mind, let's read Romans 15, 22 to 32. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. You know, at first glance, these words might seem no more than some closing comments to this book, but how important it is to pay attention to all that's in Scripture. How rich are those passages that seem at first sight to be unimportant? So let's start at the beginning. Why has Paul been hindered from coming to a city that he so wanted to visit? You know, in the previous section, he has talked about the ministry that he has had in Turkey and in Greece. It had consumed him. And this is the reason that he had no time to come to Rome. God had other things for him to do. But in this verse, we find Paul's sense of longing. He doesn't say, I have been hindered from coming to you. He says, I have often been hindered. You see, the Roman church was, for obvious reasons, a very important seat in early Christianity. 
We don't know who began the church with any degree of certainty, but we do know the importance of this church for the global growth of Christianity. And Paul had wanted to be there where the action was and where the world was being changed. He wanted to be there to make sure that the doctrines of that church were in order and to make sure that they were loving one another. How his heart longed to be there over and over again. But whenever he would plan a visit, something would come up and hinder him. Now, one of the things all Christians must learn to do when our plans are interrupted is to settle the matter of the providence of God. You know, providence means at least two things. First, it means that we have come to believe in what I like to call the meticulous sovereignty of God. That is, God rules over all things. He controls all things. If he didn't control all things, he couldn't rule over all things. But when our plans are interrupted or frustrated, or when we're planning something that we would have been so good at doing, and yet now it seems like it's never going to come to be, like some of us often despair. You know, what's missing is an understanding that God rules all things. Even he rules over the upsetting of our plans. But providence also means that when God rules, the ultimate result will be good. You see, we know that that Paul has been interrupted one more time from going to Rome. He had to make a journey to Jerusalem to make sure that an offering was safely delivered to the Christians there. We also know that, that he wouldn't then quickly catch a ship for Rome. Rather, he would be arrested. He would spend the next two years in prison. But we also know how significant that arrest was. But, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Look back again at verses 23 to 24. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, what we've got here is a description of why Paul has written the book of Romans. The book was an introduction of his gospel to Rome. You know, in his mind, he would soon be going there, and then after he was there, they would help him as as he moved on going ever west all the way to Spain. Now, some Bible teachers have puzzled over his words here. How, they ask, could he possibly say, I've run out of room to work? You know, Paul was preaching and evangelizing and teaching and building churches in what is now Turkey and Greece. There was still so much work to be done there in reaching the lost and in building the church. I mean, how does he run out of room? Well, Paul never got his priorities mixed up. He knew exactly what he was about. See, Paul's calling from God was to be a pioneer, the first man, the man who broke up the hardened soil, the man who opened the door for others to work after him. Once he had accomplished that, he simply moved on. So once churches had been established in a given area, Paul was done, and he had already mapped out the next great project. He wanted to push the gospel into Spain. Now, we might ask, but why Spain? I mean, what strategy was he pursuing there? Well, we know from the best historical sources that we have that Spain was not evangelized until the middle of the third century. And for whatever reason, Paul felt Spain was the next natural step in the furtherance of the gospel. The need was so great there. And it's here that we see his strategy. Roman Christians could play a vital role in this great missionary enterprise. He would get believers in Rome to help him and then fund him and provide him with provisions and, and perhaps even send some workers along with him to help him in his work. 
And so you see, Paul knew very well what he was about, and we can learn from that. It's important for every Christian to know their calling and from that to establish priorities in their own lives. One of the saddest things that can happen to anyone is to simply drift through life not knowing what assignments God has for them. So so let me ask you a question. What are your God-given priorities? What is it that God wants you to do? What is your life all about? I mean, to be sure, it doesn't have to sound as grand as Paul, and it hasn't been for me. But the Holy Spirit has given you gifts and a calling, so you fulfill it. Alexander Chalmers, he's a non-Christian writer, he has said, the three grand essentials of happiness are something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Well, don't you see that the answer for these three are found in the gospel? So what are the things that God has placed in your heart? Go do them. Now, you might expect, therefore, for Paul to say, I'll see you guys right away. Remember, Paul's in Corinth when he's writing the book of Romans, which which is in Greece, and he's then only a short boat ride away from Italy and then a journey by land up the coast. But it turns out things aren't going to be that easy. Remember the first lesson? Never forget God's providence. And in verses 25 to 28, Paul explains that, that he can't come immediately. He, instead of going west, is going to be going east. He's going back to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints there. There's been a famine in Jerusalem, and and Paul has been telling the churches in Macedonia, that is, northern Greece, and then also those in Achaia, that is, southern Greece, that these Christians owe their spiritual blessings to the Jewish Christians, and now it's high time to repay them in financial blessings. Hence, says Paul, these churches in Greece were pleased to do that. See, they jumped at the chance. It, It allowed them to strengthen the bond between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And since that matter, Jewish and Gentile relations were so close to Paul's heart, it was going to be inappropriate for him not to be there and watch the delight in the eyes of Jewish believers as as they sensed the bond in Christ between them and the Gentile followers of the gospel. No, no, Paul would have to delay going to Rome one more time. This needed to be done. We're coming to the deadline for your opportunity to register for the Back to the Bible Canada 2022 Israel Experience. The time is drawing close and we're nearing capacity. So if you're thinking of joining us for the Holy Land Adventure from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher, Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh-A-Gainesville Calloway, musical guest, Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, now's the time. Tour the Holy Land, walk where Jesus, Paul, David walked, sail the Sea of Galilee, visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, and join together for a communion service at the Garden Tomb. The full Israel Experience itinerary is available online, and to ensure an intimate experience, event numbers are limited, so register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at Back to the Bible. I want you to imagine for just a moment what Paul is proposing here in the end of Romans. First, he's going to sail from Corinth to Jerusalem, taking with him the the collection that he has been organizing for some time. And if he goes by ship, that would be close to 1,300 kilometers. 
And then if he would sail from Jerusalem to Rome, which is what he was planning, he would have to turn around in Jerusalem, sail about 2,400 kilometers. Then he plans to go to Spain a little more than 1,100 kilometers. So in total, he was planning a voyage of slightly under 5,000 kilometers. Now, given the uncertainties of ancient travel and the consuming business of time, you might say, well, Paul, why don't you just forget that plan? Go straight from Greece to Rome. It's, it's a relatively short journey and spare yourself all of this. I mean, after all, hasn't it been your desire to go to Rome many times? Now, just go do it. And Paul would answer, there's something I have to do. The church in Jerusalem has been suffering. There's been a famine. And that was only the first problem. The second was that Christian Jewish believers were now suffering persecution in Jerusalem. And thirdly, many foreign Jews who were visiting Jerusalem during Pentecost were converted and and decided to stay there. And their presence placed an additional financial burden on the church. So Paul has been raising support among the Gentile Christians to help Christian Jews in Jerusalem, and that was close to his heart. But you say, well, why couldn't he have someone else sail to Jerusalem and deliver the offering? I mean, after all, many non-believing Jews in Jerusalem hated Paul. I mean, he could be killed there. And why not send Timothy or Titus or all manner of others? Then he would be free to go to Rome and press on to Spain. And the answer to that question is very important. Paul was extraordinarily sensitive to the Jewish-Gentile problem. I mean, above all, if Christ had broken down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, if freedom had been given for Jew and Gentile believers who have different cultural practices yet worship the same Lord, I mean, somehow that had to be expressed. There was something that only he could do. He could, as a Jew and yet a missionary to the Gentiles, ensure that everyone got the message. The Jews and Gentiles loved each other in Christ. I mean, only he could do that. This was a divine teaching moment. And he was the person that God had called to declare that the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles had been broken down in Christ. So do you see the application? By God's providential design, the trip to Rome would have to be delayed one more time. And this tells us that we must not abandon the immediate in a desire to fulfill a long-term goal. See, the lesson here is that it is important to diligently care for immediate concerns. See, I know people who are frustrated because they never get free to do what they've always wanted to do. So hear me. If God, in his providence, puts another roadblock in your way, then submit to that roadblock with joy and be faithful in what he has given you to do today. Do not complain against him. Verse 29 really is quite wonderful. A roadblock has come in Paul's way, but he doesn't throw up his hands and say, boy, oh boy, I I guess nothing ever goes my way. Or to complain to God, why can't someone else take care of this? Don't you want me to go to Spain? But instead, look at verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ, he says. You know, that's to say, I do believe that God will arrange it. And when it happens, I won't have to force it. It will be the exact timing that God has, and thus it will be accompanied by the blessing of Christ. And it's one of these little lines that we find Paul's motivation for everything that he's doing. See, Paul's not pursuing his own agenda. He's pursuing the agenda of Christ. He's in it for the glory of God, not to pursue his own designs. You know, many of our frustrations today 
can be traced back to the awful truth that our plans are really just our plans and not Christ's plans. You know, it's one thing to have a sincere desire, a desire that might even be inspired by obedience to God. But it's important that when we have promised to do something in the immediate, that we keep that promise. Don't you break your word and pursue a grand vision. Keep your word. Keep your promises. Fulfill your obligations, even if in the immediate, it may hurt your long-term designs. Now, there's another lesson that we can learn from Paul's delay. Do not neglect the duty of prayer for one another. Look again at verses 30 to 31, where he urges them to pray. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. See, this verse is an appeal that the believers in Rome should be diligent in praying for Paul. And then in the next verse, he gives the details of what they should be praying for. He will be in real danger when he enters Jerusalem, and they are to pray for his safety. He's unsure if the negative rumors that have been circulating about him will cause the church in Jerusalem to reject him. So he's asking them to pray for that. He has a long journey to undergo, so pray for that as well. He's very specific about what he wants them to pray for. But I want you to also notice two things that Paul says that that really strike me as quite significant. The first is the motivation he wants to give them for not neglecting the duty of prayer. He appeals to them by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit. So what does that mean? I think he means by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You are to pray for me. Christ wants you to do that. And then he adds, by the love of the Spirit, he means because of the love the Holy Spirit has given us for one another. Therefore, pray for me. And so you can hear the concern. Please don't forget to pray, for I am in need of your prayers, that you would appeal to the Father on my behalf as I go. And then Paul adds another feature. Look at verse 32. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So imagine the scenario. Paul knows that he faces great opposition in Jerusalem, such such great opposition that he may well be murdered. But he also knows that the real battle is not against people who hate him. As he would later say in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it is for that reason, because of spiritual warfare, that that missionaries and pastors and full-time Christian workers need to have prayer partners in their ministry. I mean, Satan would like nothing better than to knock off key workers for the gospel. Indeed, he targets them. Your task is to strive together with them. Realize that in prayer, you become a partner to the ministry God has entrusted to them. And might I suggest that you always give yourself to prayer. Always give yourself to, to Bible reading. Keep, keep watch over your walk with God. Pray also for those close to you and, and pray for the lost, that they might come to know Christ. But pray earnestly for key Christian leaders, for without your prayers, they're vulnerable. Do not neglect the duty of prayer. And here I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you're thinking, but, but those prayers weren't answered, were they? I mean, was he delivered from the unbelievers in Judea as he had asked them to pray? Well, yes, he was. So you're going to remember that 
his entrance into Jerusalem caused a riot, and he would have been killed. In fact, he was dragged out of the temple in order to be stoned when a Roman tribune, a Roman commander of a thousand men, took soldiers and entered into the middle of the mob, and they saved Paul's life. That was an answer to their prayers. And then comes this little wrinkle. He's put in prison without formal charges brought against him, and he stays in that prison for two years. I mean, the good news is that the fanatics who wanted to kill him now couldn't get at him, but the bad news, well, it was that he stayed in jail. So the prayer was answered, but in a strange way. Now, did the Jewish Christians receive Paul as he had wanted? That's a more difficult question to answer, but what becomes clear is that his suffering for the gospel built a bridge. And by Luke's account of the thing, it seems quite likely that the gifts were accepted and they were deeply appreciated. Paul accomplished his purpose in Jerusalem. But what about that third request that he would come to Rome? Did Paul get there? Well, yes, he did, aboard a prison ship to be tried in the court of Caesar. And because of his chains, every person in Caesar's household heard the gospel. And did he get to Spain? Well, actually, we don't know. It's possible he did. We do know that he was released from the Roman prison and that he was later imprisoned a second time and then he was executed. So whether or not he got to Spain, that's really only speculation. So you see the problem. The prayers that the Romans would have prayed for Paul were answered, but they were answered so differently than they would have ever expected. And what do we learn from that? Quite simply this, God will fulfill his purposes in our lives. Yes, he will. But many times he will fulfill them in a very different way than we had ever imagined. It is always best to entrust our future to God. John, I, I'm somewhat shocked sometimes when, when I see people like Paul who are godly men and have a design and a purpose for God, but God's purposes are different. How do we deal with those circumstances when things don't go as we intend? We all know what frustration feels like, Ben. I mean, we've all had it, and we've all at times been on our knees before the Lord and say, God, why this? You know, I, I don't understand it. I had such a godly intent, and you've interrupted all my plans, and everything's gone wonkers because of it. So, you know, I think there's not a soul that can read this that doesn't identify with what's happening there. I think the lesson that we've got to learn is that God has such greater plans and that the fulfillment of his plans, even though we don't see them, are going to fill us with greater joy. We, we need to wrap our hearts around that and rejoice when God interrupts our plans. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're praying that 2022 would be a year that you'd experience the fellowship of the Lord like no other. We believe earnestly to do this means to commit ourselves to prayer and to the reading and study of God's Word. So we want to encourage you to make a commitment to read through the Bible this year. There are so many resources available that can assist you in achieving this goal, including Dr. John's reading plan, available at backtothebible.ca or printed in our bi-monthly Truth in Life magazine, and it's free just for your asking. Whatever resource you choose, your commitment to reading the Bible every day will allow you the opportunity to know the God of the Bible as never before. 
For more information about Back to the Bible Canada, its resources, or to support this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.